So welcome to the next episode of the AI Future Show. Today I have with me a very special guest, Shane, who describes himself as a bioengineer, data scientist, and author. So Shane, thank you very much for taking time to join me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, Andy, real pleasure for me too. Fantastic. So what would be great just to give the audience a bit more of your background and profile, a little bit of what you've been doing over the last couple of years, and um, we can then sort of talk a little bit about your books as well after. Sure. Yeah. To go way back, I had a molecular biology degree and started working in laboratories around here in Portland, Oregon, and uh, worked in several different laboratories doing things like uh, fusing rabbit spines and creating new uh, virus variants to inject into monkeys and dissecting a variety of animals and, uh, you know, getting radioactive elements, you know, uh, around me and uh, inhaling fumes and all that laboratory stuff. And eventually I said, yuck, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, I started to to sit down and write some code. And so, I, yeah, I became a, a self-taught programmer. That was about 10 years ago. And luckily, my my boss in the laboratory really liked what I was doing, improving some of the, the processes and getting some papers written about, uh, you know, some some synthetic biology things and computational biology and uh he let me take time off from all that uh, that wet bench work and uh, just become a programmer. And so I, I found some mentors and I, I taught my taught myself, and uh, that's where I've been. And I've I've since you know transferred from from software engineering into data science and AI. And I'm I'm now head I'm now head of AI at Molecular Match, which is a uh, cancer diagnostics uh, search engine where we rank all the cancer research and clinical trials so that a patient or a physician can just use our search engine and find the the best uh, personalized medicine treatments for an individual's tumor genetics. Wow. That sounds amazing actually. Yeah, we're 7 years into it now just just built just building that and I started the company as a software engineer just uh databases and backend and JavaScript, Node.js. And about halfway through, uh, you know, sort of sort of 2015, everybody trying to take on AI and data science, the the company said, why don't you, you, you taught yourself programming, why don't you teach yourself some data science as, as well and become uh, our, our AI engineer. It, it's particularly helpful in that field because there's so much... There's so much text-based research uh, as far as clinical trial documents and publication documents. And, you know, obviously uh, any search engine really benefits from these modern natural language processing techniques. And so that's where I, I started, you know, getting skills in that area. Fantastic. And it's a great space to be in, isn't it? And I think obviously with COVID, there's been a, a huge it's not a resurgence, but a huge interest in using AI in the healthcare space. But the fact that you, you know, you, you and your, the, the business 
have been sort of working in that space for for many years is uh, is, is a great thing and uh, sounds like a fantastic application of technology to help people. So so fantastic thing to do. Yeah, and so so I was doing all that natural language processing and I, I went to some conferences like the the AWS conference in Vegas and really learned a lot of of the modern techniques using transformers getting good at that and during the lockdown I found myself you know having a little extra time and uh, realized that you know now that I've, I've used these transformers for for classification purposes and ranking uh, medical documents, I could use them to have some fun because they're they're generative now, and uh, you know realize they can do some writing. And so, these two books that uh, I wrote during the pandemic, published during the pandemic, are between like ten and twenty percent AI written. Um, and so I I had a lot of fun using using those models to help me produce the books of which you know. I had never written before. And so I thought, you know, as an engineer, it would be good to start, you know, trying to see if I can have AI write the book for me. And it wrote a little bit of it. And uh, I can talk, I can talk more about those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's it's a very interesting area for me. I've been fascinated with generative uh, algorithms for, for some time. And uh, for me, it's more on the, the music side in actual fact, Mm. but the, the sort of NLG sort of, uh, generative sort of uh, text is is amazing and, and amazing to hear that you're saying your books have been 20% written by by AI so uh, yeah please expand on that I'd love to love to sort of dig into that a bit more sure the book I, I first started on it's called Stone Age Code from Monkey Business to AI and so I I do talk a a little bit about it's a little bit memoir about um, my career starting as a laboratory scientist and moving into these AI uh, fields. And every chapter has excerpts where uh, that are written by AI. And specifically, I use GPT-2 that was uh, trained on my own writing. So I had I had previously, you know, a decade's worth of journaling in my own writing and fed that into it to do the fine tuning aspects so that the model is not generic. It sounds like me when it writes, you know, you kind of once you get this model running, you just press go and it just starts spitting out tons and tons of material. And most of it sucks. Most of it's really bad. Uh, (laughs) And I kind of you have to burn your eyes out uh, doing what's called cherry picking, where you finding what may be worth keeping in the book. A lot of that has to do with it was GPT-2. So it's a little bit of an older generation than than GPT-3. But even even that, you, you know, the the prompt that you put in really matters. And mm. it's a that's this creative back and forth between this thing generating text and you deciding what you know, what might be good to keep in the book. I don't think it made the book writing any easier, but it made it interesting. I was I was going to say whether you actually find it more efficient or less efficient uh, to to do this, and I, I'm assuming, and you kind of hinted at this, that sort of you kind of as you started to do more of this, you kind of realised what kind of input you had to 
to to sort of give the the algorithm in order to try and get something half decent coming out essentially yeah it, like it was the end at the end of the chapter i would kind of prompt it as to what it thinks about that chapter you know whether the chapter was about uh learning learning to code or uh, machine learning or um it's called stone age code so it has a lot to do with human evolution and our development of of our first technologies so on the cover is a uh a stone axe like a i think it's like an 80,000 year old stone axe and you know you can imagine a neanderthal or a early homo sapien or a denisovan one of these early human species kind of sat down and became the first engineer and they they sat and chipped away at the stone until it was uh, a perfect piece of technology. And, and so that's, that's the metaphor that runs through the book is that what we're, what I do is sit down and write code every day and focus on it. And I, I believe that comes from, you know, our earliest human instincts to make technology where, where we just sit down and make the perfect, perfect stone rock for, for stabbing a rhino or whatever we used to do with it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I was just thinking. So you 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 mentioned that you use GPT two for your books. Have you since had a play? You mentioned Transformers as well. Have you played with GPT three and and Transformers to sort of see how they might differ and whether they're better and what your thoughts are around that? I not too much because I was I was so interested in the fine tuning aspects of it and. Uh, even if even if OpenAI gave me the, uh, the the you know open source GPT three, like it would cost thousands and thousands of dollars to train it myself. Luckily, they released GPT two, and it's available on these pretty easy Python platforms. Uh, the main one I used was called Simple Transformers, and you can get you can get all the um, open source models out there and train them yourself or fine tune them yourself on your own data. And you can't do that with GPT-3 at this point. And so I, I play, I, yeah, I've used, I've used a few of the tools and it's certainly, it has a better um, long-term memory than GPT-2. It can write a longer hmm. paragraph, but it wouldn't sound like me. It sounds generic uh, in that way. And so my, my next plan is to use uh, GPT-NEO have you heard of that one? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's another open source one based on the architecture of GPT-3 and it's much bigger, but I could have access to fine tune it myself. And I've already started doing that. And so I'll, I'll see if that improves the book and it can write more than 10 to 20% next time. So. And is, and, and you are, and you are planning to write other books using using the technology to help yeah you. it's fun i i started a publishing company called fort rock media because I, I planned on just writing more and during the writing of this book i got completely distracted by ai art doing uh, style transfer art and i put together an art book like a coffee table book called ai art poetry uh style transfer photo anthology what I did for that one was each page, there's there's about 80 AI-generated uh, images of style transfer, and then each page has a poem about the image that's either written by that 
a GPT-2 that was trained to write poetry or um, one of my human poet collaborators. And so that was fun as well. And I plan to do, I plan to do another one of those because I like the art and I've, I filled my, my Instagram page with all this AI art and um, it's just fun to do style transfer, which, which is you take two images and you, apply the you use ai to apply the style of one onto the other to create something new and so like for for instance on the cover of ai art poetry is that rock again but it's styled as a linux terminal screenshots of a linux terminal so on stone age code is that rock but it's styled with screenshots of the Spotify interface. And so these colors, these green and purples and all that, that came from, from the Spotify interface design. I got completely distracted and spent a few months doing art and poetry book. And I don't write any poems. I can't, I, I can't write any poems. So luckily I had the AI do that for me. So. Fantastic. So I, I'm really interested to know, being you know someone that's sort of played about with this tech quite a bit, where do you see this sort of generative technology heading? And, and are there any concerns with, you know, the whole sort of, fake news type of type of uh, challenges yeah absolutely i it's um i heard the gpt3 is writing some 5 billion words per day right now and that was a that was a while ago and you know china's released a model 10 times bigger and there's just dozens and dozens of other models out there that are running they might be writing more than human beings are on on the planet they're just they're just pumping out writing and presumably they're going to get better for creative aspects. They can really break writer's block. And you, you know, there's, there's this thriller author and uh, podcaster, Joanna Penn, who uses GPT-3 to, to help design characters in her books and plot twists and everything. And, there's people who have put entire books that were just written by GPT-3. They've, they've, put that junk out on on Amazon and try to sell it to you. So there's certainly going to be a deluge of generative work, mm. you know, books, screenplays, blog posts. And so you can solve solve these AI problems with AI, with more AI. That's kind of like that excuse uh, Mark Zuckerberg was using in Congress. We just need more AI to solve our AI problem. But <laughs> if, if you have a deluge of, of too much writing out there and you want to know what's good or what's real you can use recommender systems so yes. um so that the the best stuff still floats to the top so i think you shouldn't be too worried about oh i accidentally read this book that was written by ai it was garbage it's like well i think amazon should have recommended you a better book another future of uh uh, of generative work is you're training these things on sequences, uh, you know, text, and they can now code. A lot of them will actually write code. And I don't think that will ever replace my job of, you know, fixing bugs and maintaining a, you know, several million line code base, because it's just, it's just not the same thing. I'm not, I'm not just generating code. I'm, I'm living inside of it and fixing things. Uh, so I, I don't think it's going to replace Despite the fact that it can write, you know, maybe make a website or an app, there should be plenty of jobs for people like me. 
Yeah, and I and I think your your insight is 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 pretty good in terms of where this technology is heading is probably more from an augmentation perspective. So it's like you say, it's helping writers block, it's helping to create some new ideas for twists in the story. It's helping to enhance the sort of characters. So I, I really like that sort of use of this type of technology because it's, you know, it's not trying to replace authors. It's not trying to create, you know, billions of garbage sort of text and, and articles and things. It's it's actually trying to help us, which ultimately is what technology should be all about right yeah yeah for sure and i think in in the biology space that's probably the next step you know it's writing right now it's writing text it's writing presumably it could write whole chapters it could write um little apps and websites and the other major sequence that's part of our lives besides text is um protein and dna and so as these transformer models get trained on biology itself they can start creating more synthetic biology uh, in a way which gain of function research you can just generate have it have a model generate brand new viruses and run run tests on them and hope that they don't you know escape the laboratory it's going to really change uh, synthetic biology as well in the future and so mm. Yeah, and actually, I was I was literally before before our call, I was on an event. Uh, Nvidia in in the UK was launching their big supercomputer, Cambridge One, for healthcare, and thro- literally throwing hardware at the problem of being able to create bigger and bigger models to solve you know more complex problems. So it's uh, yeah, it's just amazing what. Uh, what's going to happen in the next few years when you sort of combine that huge amounts of data, huge amounts of computational power and just the the, the sort of architectures of, of the underlying algorithms as well. So I think the, the healthcare space is, is um, yeah, going to be an interesting one to, to watch in the next few years. And the, the, the skills of these sort of generative algorithms, I think, uh, are really going to play into that as well. Yeah. And with hardware, it's for somebody like me, um, hardware considerations are so frustrating because you want to use the biggest models you can on the best hardware you can. But if you're writing a book, like you don't have much money to do that. And so that's going to be a big difference in the future of, you know, who has these, you know, supercomputing clusters versus, you know, the average company that can only afford to run, uh, you know, a single GPU or something. And so that's, that's going to be big because already the models are too big to fit on anybody's computer. They've got to be distributed across the cloud and, and they're, it's pretty advanced that way. So. Hmm. Fantastic. So I wanted to ask you, because you, you've, you know, you're a self-taught sort of data scientist, and I'm I'm sure there are many, many people listening to this show uh, sort of looking to either pivot their their sort of career, moving from you know 
more traditional programming into data science or or sort of graduates are looking to become data scientists what bits of advice would you give them in terms of how they can sort of start on their career journey to be a data scientist first of all your last show with dennis rothman it was really good i i liked his perspective and he, he yeah he comes from that that class of, of, of engineers who, who invented a lot of what we're doing today. And, but I do want to defend the sort of, you know, fake data scientist as he calls them, or the, the, you know, he was saying like, this is high school math plus a couple years of college in order to understand AI. And I went through, I went through all that math, but I hate math. And, I just I just naturally suck at it. I, I went through all the classes up to partial differential equations, but I, I when I'm doing this AI work or choosing a new model, I still pretty much glaze over at the the equations. What I, I was trying to defend, you know, these sort of self-taught data scientists, a real ML engineer may criticize because they don't know all the inner workings of it. But mm. I'm saying you can be you can be sort of bad at math and, and do AI work, but you can't be bad at coding. So there's no way I could have gotten any of this stuff running for the company or for myself if I hadn't, you know, sat down every day and and learned how to debug and how to make programs work and make applications work from all aspects, from from the back end to the front end to to everything. And so I would say you don't have to be a pure data scientist and understand uh, how to custom build a neural network necessarily in order to benefit your company by adding some predictive uh, technology into it. You really just, you do have to understand data inputs and, and outputs and how, how training works to produce a more predictive model. But a lot of people can pick these things up. And so now with, with, you know, PyTorch, TensorFlow, and then layers on top of it, like simple transformers. Um, you could take these advanced models and train them for yourself and get them running and deployed in your company pretty easily. My other tip for budding data scientists out there is skip all of the tutorials that bore you and find something that really interests you. They, you, you if you don't, If you don't feel like making a self-driving car, you know, if you don't feel like building a, a game of go or checkers or, or whatever it is skip that and find something that is part of your work that's going to impress your boss or it's going to help you produce you know something interesting for your for your portfolio or you know help you write a book or help you do some research um in general, I think you'll you'll be much more motivated to learn if you have a goal in mind of something actually fun and interesting to do. So just yeah, follow that curiosity and and do that because there's there's so many tutorials out there that make you feel like oh I've got to get through all of this in order to learn, but I think you can skip a lot of it and you still be a pretty decent AI engineer. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think I think the 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 two key messages there is is 
pick an application or an industry or a, a you know something that you're really passionate about and interested in and and focus on that and i think uh, you know i totally agree you know you don't need to understand all the maths in order to uh, apply apply the technology and, and benefit from it and, and, and leverage it. So, um, and I think just get started, right? Just play with the tech and see what it can do. So I think that's, that's often the starting point. And, and I'm sure that's how you, you first get, got started. And, um, you know, I'm sure it's the same for, for everyone else as well. So that's uh, really, really useful insight. So thank you for that. So I just wanted to ask, is there anything sort of takeaways from the work that you've done in terms of using GPT-2 for your book and how you might advise others using that technology for other applications? Is there any any sort of tips or advice you could give anyone that's thinking of playing playing with that technology? Yeah, I think mine worked and was fun for me because I had that basically a decade of little journaling. I would just take notes. It helps me kind of clear my mind during, you know, in the morning or during work to kind of write, write stuff down in notes. And so I had a corpus in order to train the model myself. And so if you, if you have something like that, your own writing, you can create a little author clone of yourself using GPT-2 or now GPT-NEO is going to be supported on on Python's simple transformers as well. That's kind of fun to have a have a little author clone of yourself. Otherwise, with the poetry book, that wasn't me. That was a large collection of 18th and 19th century out of copyright poetry um, to avoid any of those copyright issues and plagiarism, which, you know, the model can always plagiarize. <laughs> Maybe not word for word, but pretty close. And so you, you'll have to be careful of that. But at the same time, nobody's getting sued for right now for training on copyrighted material. Uh, and so there's just there's just so many like collections of corpuses you can put together to make an interesting new uh, model. And GPT-Neo, GPT-3, they're trained on very large data sets. And so they may already have, you know, if you prompt engineer the right way, if you know what to say to have it spit out the right thing, then, you know, it may already be trained on poetry. It may already be trained on, on this because uh, the corpuses are so large. So yeah, just put together an, an interesting application. I guess that would be my, my advice. Besides generative, uh, the classifying models are also very interesting. Uh, doing so BERT, would be one of the more advanced classifying models. And you're not generating, but you're deciding what's more important than another piece of text or what type of text this is. And so those are also fun to play with. No, that's that, that's really useful. So thank you. Thank you for, for sharing your insights. And, and thank you for, I, I guess, motivating and, and inspiring people to sort of see what's possible. Because I think, you know, being able to create 
a book, even if it's only, you know, partly generated by by algorithms, I think is it's a fascinating thing. And I take my hat off to you for, for taking the time and uh, sort of the, the, the patience to sort of go through that process. So fascinating. And then I, I, I look forward to reading the book myself. So uh, I'm definitely going to get myself a copy and ha- have, a, have a read through as well. So uh, so thank you for that. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for the conversation. It's been been really interesting and I look forward to chatting to you again in the future. So thank you for your time. Really appreciate your insights and uh, yeah, good luck with your next book. Yeah, thanks, Professor. You have a good one. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Bye now.